Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today we've got a really special guest. This is actually first time. We have a USA Today bestseller, Barbara Conroy, and we got Barbara from Michelle Cox. Oh, we're hearing about Michelle so much. I know. So after this is done, Michelle is the first of the episode extras. Listen to that, and then you can listen to all the great authors that she introduced us to. Back to Barbara. Barbara, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here today. We're glad to have you. We always start off, we kind of do the origin story. How did you get into writing? How this all happened? I've always wanted to write. I was one of those people. I always, always, always wanted to write. And I just, I wrote, but I didn't do anything with what I wrote. And I went to school and got married and had children and had jobs. And there was no time for writing. At least I didn't think there was. And that went on two parts of my brain. The one saying, I really want to write. And the other one saying, you don't have time until I retired. So I didn't actually start writing until I was 64 years old. I didn't actually start writing seriously. Wow. When you say that you're kind of writing on the side, journal keeping or you're writing short short Uh, stories? I did little essays and I did have those published in local newspapers. And when I worked, one of my responsibilities was the corporate newsletter, which was boring. I kind of jazzed it up and my manager loved it. So all of a sudden that became my thing. And it was an outlet for me. It at least appeased my need to write. So I... I did that, and but I never, I never, ever dreamed I would write a book. Was it just because it just seemed like you needed too much time for it, or you just wrote the newsletter, so that's just going to be my writing life? Yeah, well, writing a book just seemed to me, like I was thinking short stories. I could write a short story, but to write a 250 to 300-page book, just seemed so daunting. So after you retired, what made it less daunting? Just because you had time or did you sign up to some sort of workshops or something? Like, why did it all of a sudden become like feasible? It became doable to me because I had the time, but I got it all the wrong way. Totally. Don't have anybody do it the way I did. I went thinking that writing a book meant writing my story. So I had a story, I knew what I wanted to write about, and I just wrote it. There was no arc, there was no tension, there was no anything. And it was a sweet hot mess. But I didn't know that. I thought, well, this is my story. And so then I did join a writer's organization, which I truly love, and I'm still part of. And I went to a conference, and I was telling these new people that I met that I wrote a book. And so one of them said, well, I would be happy to read your book. So I said, okay. So I sent it to her. And a few weeks later, she got back to me and she said, yeah, you really need to find something else to do. And she has turned into being a very dear friend. And I was crushed. And then I thought, no, if this is the reaction I'm getting, I need to know how to write a book. So I started taking all these craft classes and I started to learn what I needed to know to write a book. I just kept revising. And this is the book that hit the USA Today bestsellers. It was my debut. It published when I was 70. Wow. Six years to write that book. It published when I was 70. And when I was 71, it became a USA Today bestseller. 
So I'm a big believer in doing whatever it takes to make your dream come true. For me, the dream was not the USA Today. That was not even in my plans at all. It was a complete surprise to me. But my dream was to be able to hold my book in my hands and to know that I did it. And I did it. But the funny thing about that was the day my book released, I had the absolute worst panic attack because all of a sudden it dawned on me that anybody would be able to read my book. And I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for what people might say about my book. And I was very fortunate because the majority of people loved my book. I did, of course, have a couple people who weren't so crazy about it, but it was my dream and it came true. And I consider myself extremely fortunate. I have worked very hard. It's not like I just sat down and it came to me. I bet I revised that book 20 times. And then when I got a publisher, I had to revise it again. That's how it worked for me. And my second book comes out next month. So my dream is still working, and I'm working on my third book, and I see no end in sight. I am very happy writing. It's literally what got me through COVID, being in the house so much, being isolated. Many, many writers reacted the opposite way, and they totally lost their creativity, but I managed to, I managed to find my character's and live in their world, and it really helped a lot. That's amazing. The USA Today bestseller list, how did you find out about that? How did you even know that that occurred? I found out about it because my publisher called me, and she said, you just hit USA Today, and there's criteria for hitting that. Of course, it's all based on sales. That's why it's called best-selling. You have to hit a certain number of sales. There are criteria where it can't be all from one venue. It has to be from at least two booksellers. Mine was Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles. And it has really done well. And that, as I said, was a complete surprise to me. This has never been about the money. It's been about just being able to sit down and write. It's about being seen. For me, that's what it's always been about. I've won some other awards, none as big as USA Today. I hit New York City Big Book Award and and won their first place and some others. And it's amazing to me that all of this has happened. It's like an old lady's dream. (laughs) (laughs) I think it could be a young lady's dream too. So it's an any lady's dream. Well, it's an any person's dream. Exactly. Well, when you first went to the conference and you had this manuscript that was the not manuscript besides for the person that you sent it to had anybody else seen it before that no. seen parts oh so no one had seen any part of it no no one had seen it and it took every bit of strength and courage to send this manuscript to this woman that I basically I mean I knew her through this writers group that I belong to I knew her through other people it wasn't like she was a complete stranger to me she was really very 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 kind and that's what I found the writers world for the most part is filled with very generous people and willing to help, willing to give advice, willing to listen, willing to literally pick you up off the floor when you're just 
go down because you don't think you've got what it takes. That happens to a lot of writers, and it still happens to me. It's called imposter syndrome, and it's not funny. You really can doubt yourself. You really can doubt that you can do it. Writing the second book, I suffered the same feelings, and writing the third book, it's there. It's it's always there. I would be willing to bet, I don't know, maybe not the really, really, really big authors. Maybe they don't feel that anymore, but I think other authors, especially relatively new ones, and I'm definitely in the relatively new stage it's something we have to deal with once I, once you took the classes and then you actually wrote the new novel did you send it to the same person again to just say hey new story what do you think this time no, I didn't. What I did was I had talked to people about publishers and I had thought about what approach I wanted to take to publishing and I wasn't interested in a big five publisher. I just wanted a small press where I thought my book could get the attention that it needed and I knew several authors who had published through Red Adept Press, and that's the press I submitted to. When I was ready to submit my manuscript, I only submitted it to one press, and that was to Red Adept, which is totally, again, don't do. You're supposed to, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You're supposed to send it to at least a half a dozen, if not more, and see what happens. You're supposed to work through the rejections, and you're supposed to keep trying. Well, I sent it to one press, and they accepted it. Well, that worked. I know. Again, I've been extremely fortunate. And they have a great editorial staff, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to submit to them. I like the idea of the fact that it was small. And they have, I think, maybe 100 authors. They just, it worked for me. That's what worked for me. I just recently told my publisher that story that I'd only submitted to them. They were shocked. Because nobody does that, but I did. I don't know what I would have done if they turned me down. I didn't have to think about that. Well, I guess you would have found someone else. I guess I would have, but I think I would have been crushed for a little while. They they were the press I wanted. It's good that it all worked out then. And then what about an agent? Did you try to get... Because I think you do have an agent, right? Did that happen? Yeah, I do have an agent now, but I didn't. And actually, I didn't even want an agent because there are presses that don't require an agent. And I thought, really, at my age, I'm not going to be some really huge author. So I, I couldn't see the need for an agent. But my agent contacted me and said that she was interested in representing me. And so we talked. And so that's how I got my agent, after I published my first book, after I hit USA Today. And she's phenomenal. I'm very happy with her. Oh, wow. It's Liza Roy's agency. And I've been, again, very fortunate. So she read your book, probably noticed that no one was representing you, and reached out and was like, I want to be that one. Yeah. Wow. So I'm very happy. And she just recently brokered a deal with my second book for the audio with a major audio publisher. So definitely was a right decision to make. Good. And then just also, because we keep mentioning the books, but to just specify, the first book, the second book, what are they about? The first book, it's called Nowhere Near Goodbye. And it is based on a true story. It's based on, although it's fiction, but it's based on a friendship that I have 
with a woman who lost a loved one to the brain tumor glioblastoma. And when this young child died, she was devastated and I was angry. This was a brain tumor I barely knew anything about. So I started doing research and I kept saying to myself, this is the book I'm going to write. I'm going to write about this disease. I know it's going to be fiction, but I'm still going to write about it. And that stayed with me for years. And I just kept doing research. Finally, the story started building in my head, albeit wrong the first time. The story was supposed to be about the child, but it ended up being about the woman who found the fictional cure for this brain tumor. So now my second book is actually the prequel to that, and that's called My Secret to Keep. That comes out next month, and it's basically about in Nowhere Near Goodbye, there was a secondary character. I absolutely fell in love with her, and I actually started writing the second book while I was still writing the first book because I just loved this character. So that's what the second book is just her story and how she is associated with the doctor who found the cure. The little girl that in my book, the fictional little girl, she was dead from day one of the book. And so she was the prologue and the epilogue. The whole story was really about the doctor who discovered the cure and what she gave up personally in order to do that. I always thought that when I wrote that I would write a light type of happy, but I, it seems I write dark. I like to really get into the dark side of people's personalities. I'm not sure what that says about me. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what I seem to lean toward. I think it's a it's a writing trait. A lot of writers just have that. Yeah. But you said that you had never really thought about writing a novel before, but that you still have the story with you for years. So it was just kind of like, oh, one day I'll write about this, but you didn't really know how it was going to come out. Or your dream was going to be one day I would I would have a book about this. I guess deep down my dream really was that I would have a book about this the, the brain tumor and the cure. But the how to get to that point was so daunting that initially I just kept putting it off. And then once I retired, I felt like there were no excuses that I shouldn't put it off anymore. However, what I should have done is learn more about the craft of writing before I sat down and started writing. That's what I would suggest to anybody who is just starting out, because that's not what I took in school. I didn't take creative writing. I really had no idea how to go about it. So even that first version that nothing happened from it, it was officially the same story. And then you yes. just learned how to write it through all the workshops and stuff that you took. Yes. Oh, okay. You're like, this story will be written somehow. I was determined it was going to be written. And literally, I did rewrite it probably 20 times. Once you started taking the classes, did you have this moment just, wow, I really did not know what I was doing. Oh, I really did not know what I was... <laughs> and the funny thing about that is, I don't take criticism well, generally speaking, yeah. in my life. But every bit of... I, I don't even want to call it criticism. Everything that everybody said to me about what needed to be done, I just, like, sucked it up. It was like, okay, okay, I need to, I need to learn how to do this. Okay, mm -hmm. I, I, I understand what you're saying. Everybody was very kind and helpful, the criticism was given in a way that it was easy to accept it. But generally speaking, in my life, if I do something and somebody says, there's a better way to do it, I'm more apt than not to say, well, then do it yourself. <laughs> 
you know. So it's amazing to me that when it comes to writing, which is so important to me, that I can see that somebody is trying to help me. Again, to me, it's all a miracle. (laughs) We'll call it feedback instead of criticism. Constructive, yes. Yeah, it makes it more palatable. I can do feedback. Don't give me criticism, but I can do feedback. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, also, just because you had mentioned it, that you said you were writing essays that you sent off to newspapers. and Like, what were those about? Oh, they they were just odd little things. Like, one year I wrote an essay which really people just loved. It was about finding the perfect Christmas tree, going out and cutting a Christmas tree with my kids and my husband. It took hours and it was always freezing cold. We would find the tree and my husband would keep saying, but wait, we have to keep looking. We have to keep looking. We have to keep looking. And lo and behold, we would end back with the first damn tree that we found. (laughs) So I wrote this story and people just loved it. So I would generally write things based on holidays and another time I wrote one about the fact that I always bake cinnamon bread for the holidays and the list kept getting longer as to the people who wanted the cinnamon bread until I was making 40 60 loaves of cinnamon bread and I wrote this story and I actually had now this was in a local newspaper people find my phone number and call me up and ask me for the recipe it was those kind of things but it's like that helped that gave me some I don't even know what word I would call it it gave me some validation I could write something that appealed to people and that helped keep my dream going it's like if I can get these things in the newspaper that means I know how to do something right about the writing that's good going back now to the second book that you said is coming out soon you just went straight back to the same publisher you didn't even bother or did they ask you if you have a second book like how did that part actually work oh they did yes they asked me about a second book well before I had it finished. I knew that I would give it to them because it was a prequel to the first book that they published. So it's kind of a rule that a new publisher isn't going to jump in and take a book that's related to another book that's published by another publisher. Right. That was a given, and they wanted that book. I gave it to them, and they sent me a contract in two days. So they wanted that book. And this was before or after the first book had already come out? This was after the first book came out. So you got your first book came out, you're a USA Today bestseller, and you're like, by the way, I've got another book that's part of this. And they're like, yes, we're going to take it. Yeah, that's pretty much how that works. Uh, yeah. That's good. And then you said you're working on a third book. Are you kind of keeping your options open with that, or you're still kind of looking at smaller presses? My publisher knows this. I am actually maybe going to spread my wings a little bit put that out on submission with my agent and see what happens. Although I have no problem publishing with the same press that I'm using now. But I just feel that at this stage, maybe I owe it to myself just to see. Yeah, you have the agent, so... Exactly. Having the agent is supposed to help. May as well try it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't know how much you can, uh, you specifically want to say about it, but are you kind of keeping it within the same contemporary again and kind of has like a little bit of a personal story seed in it somewhere? Or do you go in a totally different direction? Actually, it's a totally different direction. It's totally contemporary. It's still women's fiction, but there's a male protagonist. It's two-person point of view, a man and a wife, but the man is absolutely the primary protagonist, which can still be women's fiction as long as 
his beginning and end occurs with an emotional arc and that it's more character and emotion driven than plot driven. That definitely is the way the book is going. But in terms of having something that I'm interested in, yes, it's still there. Both my other two books, the subplot is about eagles and Beagle rescue programs. I'm a firm believer in taking what you love and just somehow connecting it with something else. So the third book is about surrogacy because I find it fascinating that women will become surrogates. And my neighbor actually has done it three times. I find that absolutely fascinating. I've known her for years and in the back of my mind, with something that I wanted to pursue in terms of writing. But I had these other things I wanted to do first, so I did those. So now this third book is going to be about a woman who becomes a surrogate, but the real story is the fact that the man, her husband, thought he could handle this, and he can't handle it. That's what I'm writing now. Again... It hits the dark side. Sure, yeah, goodness. Do you find it either tricky or difficult either to write a book, a prequel to a book that was already out, or to write two points of view? Were either of those kind of like a, a switch in the brain, or was just kind of the story uh, came and that was good? Writing the prequel after I had written or have most of the first book written was extremely difficult because I had to make sure that I hit all of the beats on the timing. That was a lot of thinking to make sure that I could meld the stories. My early readers have told me I've done it seamlessly, so let's hope everyone thinks that. But so that was an effort. As far as the two person, my first two books are first person with one point of view. My third book is third person with two points of view. And surprisingly enough, I have not found that to be difficult. I was expecting it to be, but it isn't. I think it depends on the story. I think some stories lend themselves to certain points of view, whether it's present tense or past. Writing in present tense does not appeal to me at all. I find it cumbersome. I like to write in past tense, but there are issues with that to keep the reader really engaged. But I like the third person because I like being able to get into each person's head and let the reader see what's in the person's head that the other character in the book doesn't see, but the reader sees it. I found that kind of interesting. You can't get into a person's head from first-person point of view? Not as much because there's only that one person. You can get into that person's head, but that person doesn't know what's in anybody else's head. Oh, so you meant that it was interesting to be in more than one person's head. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's always also interesting to see if you've got the same scene, let's say, or the same moment, or if there's an argument or discussion. Yeah. And then you can actually see how they both see the same thing differently even slightly differently but you can walk away with each character at that point and see how this person has taken it and how that person took it yes and i find that fascinating because let's face it that's real life yes we can have an argument with someone and we only see our side we're lucky if we get to the point with that other person that we develop enough trust to actually listen to what that other person is feeling. A lot of times that doesn't happen, I don't think. It's kind of fascinating, I think. Yes. Just a, one more question. 
and this is your take specifically on it, you sort of mentioned, but just to, to be specific about it, when we talk about woman's fiction, you described it kind of if it's more character driven than plot driven, but are there other elements that you say are kind of important for something that they call it woman's fiction? Like it's also more, I don't know, emotionally resonant or something like that. Do you think, are there other things officially that go with it? First of all, I hate the term women's fiction, but, <laughs> but that's what it's called. Well, think about it. There's not a genre called men's fiction. There's thrillers, suspense, mystery. I like book club fiction a little bit better. Yeah. The term actually means, according to whomever makes these decisions, not me, that the story is based on the character's emotional arc from where he starts or she starts to where he or she ends up. So the person can be good and then go through some life events that turns them to be not so good. And that can be the end. That can be the emotional arc. It doesn't mean happily ever after. It's not like romance, that it's a given that happily ever after happens. It doesn't all have to be tied up in a pink little bow, but story has to be driven by the emotion of the characters. When I say plot-driven, a thriller is definitely plot-driven. Or a mystery. There's definitely, that's what drives the story. But in women's fiction, it's the emotions of the characters. Which is why, because it's the characters, that it doesn't have to be just a female character. I have many male readers who love my book. It is marketed as women's fiction. I mean, if you look on Amazon, you'll see it says divorce fiction, family fiction, and then women's fiction. It's an interesting phrase. It's one I don't like. I found it confusing. It took me a long time to embrace what that actually meant. Well, it's almost like they took what the marketing plan was and like turned it and called the genre by the marketing plan. Not the only, but the main demographic will be women. So we'll just call it women's fiction. But like you said, book club fiction kind of seems like a, almost a better term for things. I agree. But apparently this all started with booksellers and bookstores and where to place books. Yeah. Uh, there's a thriller section, there's a mystery section, there's suspense. And where to place these books that don't fall into any of those categories. It's not romance. It's not fantasy or science fiction or anything like yeah, that. exactly. Right. That brings me to the other part of writing, which it's a business. And you have to remember that it is a business and the business is selling books. Yes. And that actually is a great example of where's the bookseller going to put the book. And frequently agents will say, if they're turning down a book, it might not be because the story isn't any good. It's because they don't know where to sell it. Don't know what publisher would be interested in it because it's different. It's like there's a joke about the publishing world wants something new, but only as long as it's exactly like what this person did. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because it is true. If I walk into a bookstore, I want to know where what I like is. I want to know how to be able to find something. On the other That's hand, you hope that they don't not take a chance on someone because they did something different if it's still good. Right. That's why they say, like, don't say the book is for everyone. Give us a specific category because it makes the publishers kind of get relieved when they hear it to say, like, oh, I can market the book. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. 
It's very true. Very good. So we always wrap up with kind of a fill in the blank of I really like it when choosing one of the nouns and it could be a soapbox answer, your uh, off the cuff answer. I really like it when writers, editors, agents, publishers, booksellers, why anything story related. I really like it when X and I really don't like X. So how would you fill in the blank for that? I really like when publishers are honest about what they want from you. That's even when they take your book, but then they want to turn it into something else. It's really like when publishers listen. I really like when publishers take a chance on you. Yeah, very good. What would you say if I really don't like? What I really don't like is that they can read the first two paragraphs and make a decision right there. So much pressure. I mean, really. And I look at that. After you've written and written and written and you're down to like the absolute fine tuning, you know, the absolute polishing the apples kind of thing. You have to look at those first couple of paragraphs and just smack them in the face with the story. Except, except you open up a book by Kristen Hanna or Jody Picot or Chris Bajalian or Robert Dugoni, any of those really huge authors. And those first couple of chapters don't smack me in the face. First couple of paragraphs, they're like what they should be. They're like leading the reader into the story. When you are untried or you are not screaming successful, there's so much against your success. It is hinged on so many things. So I don't like that. And I'm saying that even though I consider myself to have been very lucky. Well, no, that's fair. You can still say that. And it's true because sometimes you read books by other authors and you know they're good. You know the authors are good, but you're like, is this really that different of a story than what someone else is trying out or something? Yeah. Exactly. And only, I, and I love Jodi Picoult. I love her writing, but only she can get away with some of the stuff she writes. I swear. Really. <laughs> so there you go. That's, I guess you have to earn your way up to that. She's got all of that behind her. She has proven herself. I have a feeling, and I could be dead wrong, but I just have a feeling like she ends in a book and it's okay. You know, we're going to, we'll publish this book. I just can't imagine some huge editing process that goes on. I could be wrong. She hasn't confided in me. <laughs> I guess that happens in, in all parts of life of when you earn your way a little bit, when you've yeah. got to a certain point, you have a different kind of status then. So Yeah, absolutely. And which leads right back to it's a business. It's yeah. all a business. Yeah. Hard to remember. One day an author might be like, why does Barbara Connery get to do certain things that I don't get to do? <laughs> so, who knows? I don't know long enough for that to happen. Not happy though. You do have to say, Barbara, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It's been a treat to speak with you. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed this. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Work podcast featuring author Barbara Connery. To find out more about Barbara and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Work podcast and to keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, follow us on Instagram at Oh My Work podcast. Please check us out at el Music is by Tim Burke. Thanks so much for joining us. Catch you next time.